Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. Welcome back, everybody. Our guest today is Johanna McCloy. Johanna and I met at the Genesis Awards for the ARC Trust in Los Angeles years and years ago as volunteers. Genesis Awards is a benefit benefit for animal activists, animal rights, animal support. It's a good group. And it's a long time ago that we connected, but we stayed in touch over the years. And Johanna was a big proponent of getting vegetarian or soy dogs into the Major League Baseball parks and stadiums. It's a pretty cool initiative. But although we know each other all these years, Johanna has had a secret. Now, her mom published a book that Johanna edited, and that secret was revealed in the book, but I'm not going to say anything about it. Johanna will. And I just found this out, and now I'm sharing it with you, or Johanna's sharing it with you. So here's Johanna. You grew up the daughter of a spy. Yeah. You, I would guess, did not know this, that you were the daughter of a spy. No, I didn't know until I was 15. I was 15 when my father told me. We were, I was about to enter my junior year in high school and we were living in Tokyo at the time. My brother and sister are older than I am. So my brother was in college. My mother was in the States with my sister getting her all set up for her freshman year in college. So it was just my dad and I. We, were, we had been in the States for summer vacation. Where were you living before? When I was three months old, we moved to Spain. Okay, so you were born where? Let's start at the beginning. And I was born in Pennsylvania, but that was just, we just happened to be in Pennsylvania when I was born. So I don't really have any. In Scranton, just like Biden. Look at that. Three right. months old. Yeah, we moved to Spain. At three months and old, Madrid. And, yeah. and you would have moved there because your dad had an assignment. Right. Okay. So we were there for seven years and my parents placed us all in Spanish schools. And so Spanish was my first language. And I thought I was a Spaniard with these strange American parents. I, you know, what, that was all I knew. So still, tu habla español? Si, yo hablo español. Ah, bueno. Yeah. So when I was seven, my parents announced that we were moving to India and we would be placed in the international school, which is English speaking. Where in so India? Where did you go? In New Delhi. My sister and brother had spoken English before. They still were predominantly speaking Spanish because we were all in Spanish schools, but they spoke English. Are you the youngest? Yeah. So I didn't speak any English. So they put us into English intensive English classes that summer. And then we moved to New Delhi and lived there for two years. And then I was in fifth and sixth grade there. What are they speaking? What's the primary... Hindi. It's Hindi. So you learned a few Hindi phrases because you were in an American school. Just a little bit of Hindi, maybe? I don't no. remember it. I, my best friend there was actually our driver's daughter, Madhu. 
and she didn't speak English. I barely spoke English. I spoke very choppy English. It took me a while to adjust to being in, in a more American, even though we we're in New Delhi. Was she also seven? Same no, age? No, she was 14. Okay, so you have a 14-year-old girl speaking Hindi, a 7-year-old girl yeah. speaking Spanish with a yeah. little bit of newly learned English right. living in Delhi. This is good. After that, we moved to the, the only year we lived in the States during my entire growing up was when I was in fifth grade and we moved to Ithaca, New York. And my father went to Cornell and he took intensive Japanese for a year so that we could move to Japan. So we knew we were there only for a year. Why Cornell? Cornell is known for veterinary hospitality. I didn't know it was known for Japanese. Interestingly, um, Eleanor Jordan was a professor of Japanese there and a Caucasian woman, but she had a particular approach to teaching Japanese, I guess, that was conducive for, you know, just someone who wanted to immerse themselves for a year, I guess. At least the CIA thought so. So you're in fifth grade. Do you, yeah. Are you thinking about what daddy does or no? Not really. No, not really. No, because it's all you know. You know what I mean? And especially when you grow up overseas, everyone around you is like you. You're all peripatetic people, you know. Everyone's coming and going. Yeah, no, yeah. One, no one's from where you live. Right. Yeah. Of course, there's going to be people who are native to that country that also attend the school. But by virtue of, of it being an international school, you have people from all over who are there stationed for business purposes, or, you know, maybe it's the teacher's families or their missionaries or... Your dad would have had some kind of business that he was in, or was he working for the State Department? What... No, he was he was undercover. He was always undercover. He actually worked for corporations and he held the job and the title that he was given. So it was not just cover without substance. So he actually he would have been what, 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 what was one of his jobs? Do you, uh, you know, it's interesting. We don't tend to talk about where he worked. Oh, OK. We're still sort of trying to be even though it's probably out there. You know, he would work for multinational corporations. Would he be in sales? Would he be in marketing? Was he an engineer? What, uh, what did, what? He was like in quality control or okay. he was a buyer. And at one point he was an executive search. He, was, he worked for an executive search firm. I like that you still can't reveal stuff. That's cool. It's interesting to just still not feel like that's... Eh, I don't think uh, we don't talk that. about that. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, but, no, um, but in he your did DNA. those jobs. And the scenario is that the people that work for him in that office... No one knows. He can't pull off a title and a job without doing it and being believable. That's why I always am quick to tell people, yeah, you know, he, he actually had two jobs. Yeah. The other one was the one he did when he wasn't doing, but he got paid only by the CIA and the CIA paid less. <laughs> so hold on a second. So his employer knew that he was. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. They're I would assume. They're in uh, cahoots. That's why it's. That's why people don't like to talk about what corporation they work uh, for, because the corporation is sort of doing their patriotic thing in exchange for having a free corporate executive. I don't think I knew that. I yeah. know for sure that I didn't know that. I would. I would have been under the assumption that the company was also in the dark because it would just be more secure that way. Well, it is actually it is secure in that most people, if not everybody, that knows my father or anybody working in that capacity don't, don't know. It's just the immediate, the immediate supervisor, not there on the ground, higher up the corporate ladder. So he immerses himself in Japanese and is pretty good at it. You go to Tokyo, you learn any Japanese? Yeah. I mean, we went to, again, we went to international schools, so it wasn't a requirement, but yeah, you pick it up. Uh, we were there for six years. So I was there from sixth grade until the end of my junior year in high school. I learned to do head, shoulders, knees, and toes in Japanese from oh. sushi chefs. It's very, <laughs> really? It's, it's very, it's a bit, atama, kata, isa, ashi, isa, ashi, atama, kata, isa, ashi, isa, ashi, meto, mimito, kuchito, ana. It'll get you a free beer at the sushi bar every time. You know what? It's big. That would totally get you a free oh, yeah. beer. I've never even heard that before. Oh, it's good. And let me tell you, by like round seven, where the sushi chefs are obliterated, I don't even know how they were holding their knives. And we're saying, the Atama! Jeff-san, Jeff-san, Atama! Kata! It's awesome. Yeah. Life in Tokyo was good for you because now you're, how old are you now? You were in fifth grade. From sixth grade to the end of my junior year in high school. Good memories in Tokyo? Wonderful, mm. wonderful memories. Wonderful place to be in high school. 
just really great. Just really great. Very safe. I, you know, I think about it now. We took the train to school and it took probably an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and a half to get there. And it was three trains, about a mile walk. And we were always out and about throughout the city, taking multiple trains and buses and walking. And, and no one ever worried about the kids. No one. It was nothing to worry about. We'd go out Saturday night, we'd go to Oropongi, which was like the, the happening part of town where all the discos yeah, it's good <laughs> the disco. discos were. And we'd go to the discos on Saturday night, be there until they closed. We'd be on the train system at midnight. No one ever worried about us. And they didn't need to. We were fine. And this is what year, Johanna? This is from, uh, well, I was in Japan from 75 to 81. You're on your own in a way, right? I mean, just in a big, in a major city. Really enjoyed it. And then we moved, my senior year, we moved to Venezuela, Caracas. Caracas, huh? Okay. Yeah. So the Spanish comes back. The Spanish comes back, but oh, what a change. <laughs> yeah. You go from Castilian Spanish from Madrid. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you. So cinco, seis, siete, huh? You see? Si. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So you go from that to Venezuelan Spanish, which is like, okay. <laughs> No entiendo. It, 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 you know, it's just a completely different accent. And of course, idioms and everything right. are, are different. So it's like learning Spanish all over again in some ways. Caracas in the 80s, they were already a major oil power in yeah. Venezuela, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of people there were, were, you know, were there because their fathers, in most cases, worked for oil companies. Yeah. A lot, yeah. Of, te a lot of Texans, I bet. Yeah, actually, there were quite a few. You know, you go from being in a big city where you're totally fine and safe and secure and ultra, navigating ultra modern, everywhere. super, yeah. super, super clean. In Caracas, the international school was underfunded. Their library was closed the whole year I was there. They are, they had no sports, and walking around Caracas was not something that you just you did feeling very safe. Yeah, you could, fact, be, you could be kidnapped. One of the things that would happen, which I thought was a joke when I, when I finally, you know, made some friends and started hanging out and doing stuff on the weekends, people had cars, which was new to me. Everybody wanted to gravitate to the people who were able to drive because only a few people were able to had cars. Right. You would have to have a stash of money with you in case the police stopped you. And I was told this, and I thought it was kind of a joke. I didn't think it was serious. But then it happened a couple times. You'd be in the car, and they'd stop you. You know, the people who drove in Caracas, the Americans or whoever they were, my my peers, they knew the drill. They, they were veterans. And and they'd just roll down the window, and there'd be some exchange at the door. And then the, the cop would say, you know, hey, we found this on you, basically. It would be either pot or cocaine. Usually it was pot. They would take the pot out of their own pocket and say, we found this on you. We would say, oh, here you go. And we'd give them some money. And they'd say, okay, we didn't find it on you. Be on your merry way. It was just like you had to have money on you. Gracias y vaya con Dios. <laughs> it, it was a night and day experience. Whole new culture. Yeah, but fun. I mean, I, I enjoyed that too. I just was up for the adventure. From Caracas to where? Next stop? So I graduated from high school in Caracas. Uh, so I went to college in the States. I applied for the UC system in California because that's where my father was from California. That's where he met my mom. And that's what we considered home in a general sort of way. We didn't have a home home in America because we never lived here. The UC system just seemed like the natural um, college system to apply to. I got into UC Berkeley and UC Santa Barbara, and I decided to go to UC Santa Barbara because my sister had just gone there and liked it. It's interesting because that's actually the year I had the most culture shock of my life was my freshman year in college. Did you live on Isla Vista? You know your Isla Vista? Yeah, yeah I yeah. did. I just had a really hard time adjusting to what was, to me, a very American culture. And I just, I just had a really uh, difficult time. And so I ended up transferring to Duke. Very academically rigorous, as we know. Duke. Yep. Very challenging in a lot of great ways. You were 15 when he told you that he was a spy. Right. So that was in... Caracas. That was in Japan. That was the summer before my last year in Japan. So it was the beginning of my time with 
my parents without my siblings around because my both my siblings were in college now. It was really different to know uh, what my father did. It was a very interesting year for a lot of different reasons. Actually, I, I'm writing about that. I ended up befriending a football player whose father also was a spy. American football? Yeah. Okay. It was, we had a football team. And he was on the football team. And But this is in Tokyo. Yeah. All right, so um, hold on. So you're the daughter of a spy. You fall for a football player who's the son of a spy. Yeah, no, actually I should I should correct you on that. I didn't fall for him, but but we became very good friends. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought okay. Um because we both recognized and knew about ourselves and about each other. And somehow we were able to, in coded language, decipher that we were both aware of one another at a party. And we became very close um, because that was the only person I could talk to about my father. And it turned out a good friend of mine, my one of my best friends, who was kind of a, this is very high school, but it's true, was kind of his love interest. She was a missionary's daughter. She had been born and raised in Japan, spoke fluent Japanese. They were from North Carolina originally, the family. But she spoke Japanese fluently, went to Japanese kindergarten, everything. He told me her father did not appreciate the fact that the CIA had people on the ground in Tokyo. And he found it to be very distasteful and he wanted to out them. Oh, my. Yeah. Wow. so this football player said, that's why I, I won't allow myself to like get close to her and become her boyfriend. But she doesn't know that. And I certainly can't tell her that. And so that became a very strange scenario because she, she noticed that he and I were getting close. She was jealous and I couldn't tell her why. <laughs> it's a very high school scenario. And it's good. Not, it's, right? it's spy kids grown up a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's good. But you you did not obviously betray his confidence, was a daughter an advocate for what her father wanted to do? I mean, her dad had this mission. I don't know if she even knew, actually. I don't know if she was even aware of of any of that. Maybe she was, but I don't think it was on her radar because it didn't pertain to anything that would matter to her. You know what I mean? It's it's nothing of that. Nothing like that seems relevant to you when you're in high school. But her father said, I don't like the fact that CIA people are here. I want to out them. And he said that to her. My f- friend, the football player, was told this by his father. And I don't know how his father knew. Oh, oh. So the football yeah. player's dad was saying, I'm going to need an org chart here soon. Okay, so the football player's right, dad exactly. was saying that, hey, this girl's father doesn't. Right. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah. You got to avoid and her. So, yeah, so I ended up being invited to her house for Thanksgiving in the country. Oh, the plot Just, thickens. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Country and house. This was like two months after I found out about my father and shortly after the football player and I started confiding in one another. So I sat down with my father and I said, here's the story. I was just invited to spend Thanksgiving with her family and I would normally be all over that, you know, going into the mountains in Japan and and spending four days, you know, with this missionary family in this area. I just, it just seemed like such a great thing to do. I'd heard about it and and my father's like, go. And I said, well, here's the thing, you know. And I told him what I'd heard. And he said, well, I haven't heard about that. I think you can hold your own. And I said, yeah, I guess. He said, if he asks you anything, you just you just tell him what you've been telling people all along. None of, it is, none of it's a lie. I do work for the corporation. I do do that job. That is why we're here. So there's nothing that you're changing. You know, it's okay. So I thought, okay. So I went over Thanksgiving meal. He starts questioning me. <laughs> now, was there a reason? Oh, he's just suspicious of any uh, yeah, of any outside. Like, so what brings your family here? Uh-huh. What exactly does your father do? Uh-huh. And oh, that's interesting. So, where did you live before, and why was that? And, and this is an American. You, I, he's a he's a North yeah. Carolinian, right? I, they're not the reason you yeah. went to Duke, right? Is it, they're not the reason that you went to. Well, no, I know, but here's it, it just gets stranger and stranger. Okay. She actually went to Duke, and her family was very uh, connected with Duke, so uh-huh. we both ended up going to Duke. All right, so you're wait, you're at Thanksgiving, and you say pass the cranberries, and he passes the cranberries, yeah, and then says Johanna, and he's looking at me, and he's like, and everybody else is just doing what they normally would do, passing the stuff around and right. eating. And it's a big. Not, is it a big table? How many people at the? It's no, it wasn't a big table. It was a little 
cabin really it was a cabin in the woods so and there were i don't know i mean i think maybe she had two siblings there with her and parents and me so it's not like you can get lost in a crowd you're stuck with this oh yeah okay so the interrogation begins at thanksgiving and and mind you i don't think anybody else would have thought it was an interrogation because they don't no one's thinking that way right and he didn't have that tone it's just that i'm aware right i had acted in plays and i loved acting but i really became aware that this was like going to be the performance of a lifetime because i couldn't give anything away my father had really instilled in me this is not something you tell people right and it's not okay for people to find out this is dangerous listed all the things that can happen and they were not pretty and he made sure that was drilled in big time yeah i was a nervous wreck i had to act like i was just did he press you to make you uncomfortable or were you no i don't think so i think he took it as far as he might have anyway all i kept telling myself was what my father had told me you're just answering questions you're saying what you would have said three months ago it's still the same the answers are still the same there's nothing wrong with this conversation let's jump to when your dad sits you down and says Johanna, honey, I've got something to tell you. Yeah. 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 That was quite, that was quite the evening. You're together. Everyone else is gone. You're in Tokyo. Is that right? Yeah. We're in Tokyo. We just flown back together from the States, just my dad and I. Okay. Um, And we had a pretty good bond. Um, We really loved each other and we're, I think we had a special bond and we had just gone home. We were both so happy to be home. You know, we had jet lag and everything. We went out for dinner, grabbed a bite to eat because we didn't have anything in the refrigerator. And while we were having dinner at this local neighborhood restaurant, he says, so I'm going to tell you something tonight. It's very serious. That's like, okay, what are you talking about? You know, and, and then he proceeds to eat and he's very serious. And I say, what are you talking about? Do you remember what you had? Do you remember what kind yeah. of restaurant? Oh, yeah. Was it a oh, sushi yeah, it was joint? Italian or? restaurant. Italian. And we were eating lasagna. Is it good Italian food in Tokyo? Yeah. It was our favorite little restaurant in the neighborhood. Yeah. I think it was called Shark. Bunch of Japanese guys cooking Italian? Yeah, probably. I don't remember who was cooking, but yeah. So he makes this announcement that he's going to tell me something very serious later and, um, and and I'm and I'm starting to question. Well, why can't you tell me now? What the what is it? And he's like, don't you know? I don't want to talk about it right now. I want to talk about it when I get home. I was like, why are you acting really strange? And and, and the stranger he acted, the more concerned I became, because he was so serious. He's no, he normally wasn't that you know that intense. I was like, so I started thinking, do you have cancer? Does Mama have cancer? Someone's sick. What's going on? You know? And he said, when we get home, when we get home. Oh, so he didn't want to talk about it in the restaurant. No. Oh, this is torture. I know. Wow. Yeah. So we get home and he says, I'm going to go upstairs. And uh, when I'm ready, I'll, I'll call you like, what the fuck? Right. (laughs) (laughs) And he, you know, he liked his cocktail. So he went and got his cocktail and went upstairs, clink, clink, clink with the ice in the glass. I'm sitting in the living room in the dark going, what the heck? And so I pick up the phone. I call a friend, you know, I'm like, Hey, I'm back, blah, blah, blah. So and then I said, so my dad's acting really strange. She's like, what's going on? She, and I say, because I don't know, right? So I said, he just said that he had something. And then my father, he's leaning over the uh, the, the stairwell down into the living room. He's like, hang up the phone now. You know, just scared the bejesus out of me. Don't talk to anyone. Hang up the phone right now. I'm like, oh, and you, you've, <laughs> you've never seen him act like this. No. Is he he's always a mild mannered kind of guy, even he's, killed? He, he was he was very charming. He was very David Niven like. He was oh. very uh yeah, very funny, very sharp, just a very nice guy. Everyone liked my dad. Blonde like you? No, no. He had uh dark hair. Okay. Blue eyes, yeah. Yeah, so then he then he said, uh, okay, I'm ready. I don't know what to expect. So he's sitting he's basically in his yukata, which he hung out. You don't. You know what a yukata is? It's no. like one of those. Is it a robe? Cotton, like a- yeah, it's like a cotton Japanese robe. Yeah, summer okay. robe with a with the obi, yeah. a little tie. Okay. He just wanted to get comfortable. Is basically what it was. He just he just wanted to settle in and get ready emotionally, I guess. So he's sitting on his bed in his yukata with his cocktail. So I sit at the end of the bed. He says, "So what do I do for a living?" What? <laughs> what is? What? Yeah, this is all very strange. So I tell him what he does for a living. He goes, yes, that's true. I do do that. 
but I have another job. Uh, so then my mind goes to, oh, so we're hard up. You know, so he's been doing something on the side because we don't have money. Said, right. Oh, well, what do you do? So then he says, uh, I work for the CIA. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and he says, yeah, I'm a spy. And I just, I, I was like, wait, I, you know, how do you, how do you take that in? You just don't take that in. You know, it really is like you can, you can hear your mind blowing. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> what? All I could think was movies, of course. It's what everybody thinks, I think. I'm like, wait, what? So you go around people's yards wearing black and sneak into people's homes and spy on them? You know, it's like, a, I don't know. He's like, no, 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 no. But he was laughing. He thought that was hilarious. He's like, no, 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 no. But I, I'll tell you more about what I do. I want to have this conversation. I want to make sure you understand. Yeah, we ended up sitting for probably two hours. Are you able to share some of those details or no of that yeah, conversation? Yeah, I mean, one of the things he said to me, you know, I was very excited and I was jumping around going, oh my God, oh my God. And he says, no, I need to instill in you how serious this is. I need you to understand how grave it would be for this to get out. I don't want you to leave this room until that's very clear. He said, grab my briefcase. What is his cocktail? I picture your dad as a Manhattan guy, but I don't know what he's... No, he's actually a vodka on the rocks kind of guy. Vodka rocks? Did he have a particular vodka that he drank? Uh, I think at the time, I don't know if it was Stolik Naya. It might have been a Stoli. Just um, vodka rocks, not an olive, nothing. Just vodka rocks. No. Was he the kind of guy that came home and had a cocktail every night, Johanna? Do you remember? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, he liked, his, he liked his alcohol. He was a he was a partier. He liked cocktail parties. He had cocktails every night. Interesting to me that he could have a cocktail or perhaps two. My father-in-law was a doctor, came home on time every day. Probably three martinis. Oh, yeah. That would be my dad. Right. To be able to drink like that and yet still keep a part of him in the vault seems pretty impressive to me. Yeah. Although alcoholism is a a real issue amongst uh, CIA operatives. Mm. So there's a common thread there. You know what I mean? And one would guess it's the stress. It's uh, it's a way of, to- of being able to tolerate it. If we chase that down a bit, so if alcoholism is a common factor or it has a common presence with agents, and we know that alcoholism is a disease that is hereditary, is this something where people with that trait are drawn to this business or that trait lies dormant and then surfaces because of the stress? I wonder. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good, that's an interesting question. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> part, not to study that. Is it, yeah, is it part of the archetype? You know what I mean? I'm, yeah, I mean, this. I do know what you mean. Kinda, Although I do think, and I think maybe, maybe there's a connection and I'm completely hypothesizing here, but maybe there's also a connection with just the, the, the desire for adventure. Cause so, I know that was very high on my father's list. The desire for adventure. Correlation. Yeah. Being on, just being a little on the edge. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thrilled him. Yeah, it's interesting. That's So what are the elements of that archetype? Is there a sense of escape? Are you running from? Are you running to? It's kind of interesting. I mean, you can see the yeah. Hollywoodized romantic version, as you described your dad yesterday, as this David Niven-esque dash- right. dashing character, always with a cocktail and able still to jump, 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 still be able yeah, right. to <laughs> jump into action or keep his wits about him and stay on mission, mm-hmm. whatever that may yes. be. Let's get back to the edge of the bed and your dad telling you, go get my briefcase. His in- endeavor there was to really instill in me how serious this was and that it wasn't just a, a funny story that-, that was cool. And I'm thinking, why am I getting this briefcase? But of course, now it's like an interactive game and I'm all up for it. So I grab the briefcase. He says, okay, open it. And I open it. It's a normal briefcase. And like I said, we'd just gone through customs. You know, we'd just flown in from the States and he had had his briefcase and we'd gone through customs and everything. And so he says, so uh, what do you see? And I said, well, I'm trying to think, am I supposed to be seeing something? You know, I don't see anything that seems unusual. And he says, well, there's a hidden compartment. And I'm thinking, no way. (laughs) And he says, yeah, there is. See if you can see if you can find it. I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Especially because this was his briefcase, had been for years. You know, it was the briefcase we associated with my father. And what? Is it a soft-sided case? Is it one of those hard-sided? No, kick, it's kick, one we- of those hard-sided sort of met- metal boxy, oh, not it's- boxy, but you know, 
Not yeah, le- not leather, a metal, a no, metal. Okay, no, like, so like a aluminum, no, it was the like kind a, with latches, you know. With yes, latches the, the clicky, lock. C- the clicky latches right. and lock. Exactly. But a metal exactly. almost looked like a road case, like silver. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Right. So I, I'm 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 trying to figure it out. I, I, there's I don't know. I I I don't know. So he's like, "Do you give up?" And I say, "Yeah." It's like, okay. So he twists the briefcase in his direction and he does a little something and then twists it back. And the, the top part of the briefcase that opened up is now open and there, and I can see that there are materials there sort of like looking like as if the liner had opened up, you know what I mean? Yeah. Folded over. Right. And I'm, I'm floored at this point. At this point I'm starting, it's not as much funny and cute and, and amazing as it is scary now. So his point was, was, uh, or his uh, goal was actually being met because that scared me a little bit. You know, this was his briefcase. And now I'm, I'm recognizing, you know, what, you know, we've been going through customs of this thing. And, oh. So the briefcase is, is it set on the bed? Yeah. The hinging part has opened up, but it looks, as you said, as if the liner has dropped down. Is that right? right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The top liner. Yeah. I look inside and I see what looked to be like two passports and some a notebook or two. And so he's like, do you see this? And it looks like passports. He's like, go ahead and take them out. And they were from different countries. And I open them up and there's my father. Um, but it's, you know... <laughs> It was kind of silly, in my opinion. He looked kind of silly. One, he had a mustache, and he had some kind of different hair, and he, and they were fake. I mean, uh, in other words, it, it was his picture, but they were passports with different names on them. Those were the identities that I guess he used when he needed to. And then the notebook were notes from meetings, handwritten, that he had had with different people. He had dated the notebook. And so he had a couple of them and they were dated by month and that was that. And so that, that, that pretty much did the job for me. And I, I just, I, I didn't even know how to talk really. I mean, I, I was just, you can't take this in, in the moment, you know, this is something that takes a while to, to sink in, if not a year, you know what I mean? <laughs> I was just thinking, we just went through customs and he said, yeah. And I said, and I noticed that you went to the other line when we went through customs and I was wondering why you went to the other line. And he's like, yeah, I tend to do that when I have the briefcase, uh, just in case. And I said, no one's ever discovered this. He's like, nope. So that, that really kind of brought it home. And what and, was, you know, what was the other line that he had gone to? Oh, it was just two, it was just separate lines. Oh, so for, he, he distanced himself he, from you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same purpose, same line, same purpose. But I guess he just didn't want to be right next to me in case there were questions or anything. Yeah. I don't know. But that that just kind of hit me like, wow. He's as I, I've written about this, and it truly felt like I, like I, I assumed it might feel if you're told you you've been adopted, you know, at that age, because I felt like I had to recalibrate, which I really did my whole life. I had to recalibrate all of the experiences that I had had and that my family had had and put them through the new filter of he was a spy and recalibrate. Okay, so was that experience related to that? Was that experience related to that? How does it change my perception of that experience that we had? And then finding out that he had told my brother when he was 16 and then he had told my sister when she was 16 I was 15, but he had decided to go ahead and tell me. So finding out that my siblings knew and they'd kept the secret. So these guys knew and they're how much older than you, Johanna, your brother and sister? My sister's two years older and my brother's three years older. So was there a sense then, because your mom knew right. and now your brother and sister knew and you that you were, the, you were the odd man out, you were the last one to not know the secret. Was that a little overwhelming? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's just, you feel like you've been lied to. You have been. <laughs> uh, and then, so you're trying to reconcile that really huge, hard truth. And you're the only one who didn't know for the past couple of years out of all the members in the family. Yeah, that, that took a while. That took a while for me to process. So you're sitting on the end of the bed. You're going through a mad rush of stuff and your dad's sitting there looking at you nursing this cocktail is is that the end of the conversation at this point does he have, are you okay oh, do you have questions oh yeah no i mean we talked for 
like two hours, all said and done. I mean, he went down and had a couple more cocktails uh, as as the time went by to refresh. At one point, he's like, I know this is an awful lot. You, you know, you can ask me any questions you want. And if you want to take a break and go to your room, if, if you have any questions that come up, you know, I'm right here. Just walk down the hall, ask me any questions. I know it's a lot. So that's what I did. I, I went to my bedroom and I just, you know, when you're a teenager, especially I think with girls, we tend to go, oh my God, I got to call my friend and tell her whatever, right? Whenever something exciting happens or, you know, when you, whenever you feel really stimulated by some experience, you want to share it. Well, just like you did when you walked back into your place, you called your friends and, hey, my dad's acting weird. That's right. And now I really have something to share. <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh my God, this is the beginning of what it's going to be like to have to not share something, you know, this big. I'm like not being able to share it with someone that became something I learned over time. And it was actually a good trait to learn. You don't have to spew every time something, you know, that, that gets your heart going happens. You can, it can be enough on its own to experience, you know, that's a more spiritual level of a conversation, but yeah. So I went into my room and I just, I just started going, I guess, through the years in my mind and thinking about my own memories and recollections of things and kind of, like I said, running it through that new filter. And whenever something popped up that kind of raised a question, I would make a note of that. And then after I'd had a few of those, I would go down the hall and say, daddy, knock, knock, knock. And say, yeah. And say, uh, I have a question. Yeah. When this happened, was that because of, you know, so, and he was very forthcoming, you know, he wasn't, um, he was, he was a very loving, very, very warm person. Was this a couple so. of trips up and down the hallway or yeah. it was, and he patiently just waited in his room for you to come yeah. to process and he, come he back? He was reading, he was a big reader. So he was just reading in bed. I, I'm sure he was, who knows what, you know, was going on internally for him having just experience that with me. Do you remember your top question or a few of the questions that you had? Like when we lived in India, we had two guards outside of our where our home um with a in a little sentry. And it wasn't that ridiculously unusual, but it was a little unusual to have guards. A night guard and a day guard. I mean they pretty much never really had to do anything. They were just there. But there was about a week or two where they escorted the kids to get on the school bus to go to school. And I didn't really understand why we were being escorted by the guards. Was it just it your just family or everybody in your enclave? No, there? no, no. Just, just, no, just us. Just you guys. Um, so it was yeah. the guards were for your family? Yeah, mm-hmm. just for us, just for our home. And so that was one of those memories that came up. And I said, what? What was that all about? He's like, yeah, that we were, we were, I was, someone threatened me and they threatened the kids. We just had to make sure you were okay. Well, you know, there's some serious business, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Oh. Yeah. So things like that. And then asking if anybody else had parents that did that. He said, yeah, you have a couple peers. And that's how I found out about the football player. He actually told me, he said, but you can't, bring it up to them. Not everyone tells their kids. Sometimes they never tell their kids, nor should you assume that it's okay for, for, for them to know about you. So that's how I knew that the football player was like me, except that his father worked for the embassy. So the difference between my father and most other operatives overseas is that my father had no protection, was undercover, whereas others would work for the embassy or the government and if for any reason someone, say, were arrested or something happened, they were protected by the government. Whereas in my father's case, the government would say, we have no idea. He's not one of ours. Can't help you. Total deniability. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. at 15, you get this bomb dropped on you. You now have a secret that you have to, along with the rest of your family, keep and honor. How did that go going forward? There were periods of time, most of the time... Once I uh, adjusted to the new paradigm, as it were, things were pretty much the way they always were. Nothing really had changed externally. Nothing had changed. But 
just the knowledge changed how I reacted to things and how I felt about things as, as they would happen. So that was a big change. Did you ever look at that briefcase the same way? No. Oh no, no. And whenever he, like he had to go away uh, uh, to do some reconnaissance work or to meet with a, with someone before my mom came home. So I was alone in the house. It was the first time I'd ever been alone in the house in Tokyo because usually there was someone home. But because my mom was in the States with my sister and my brother was in college, it was just me alone in the house that night. I knew where he was this time. So that was really interesting. Normally, uh, it was a business trip. Kids don't, don't ask. They're not really that interested. You know, it's a businessman goes on a business trip and has to stay overnight. Teenagers aren't necessarily going, oh, and what is that all about, Dad? You know, what are you doing? Not at all. So, yeah. no. Um, yeah. Although I had asked once, like, what does Daddy do? I'd asked just innocently once when my mom was doing laundry and I was helping her. And I just, I said, what does Daddy do at night when he goes away? And I, and she had, she bristled. And I, I remember thinking, oh, I didn't, oh, was that an inappropriate question to ask? Like, what? That was weird. And she wouldn't look at me and she's like, oh, just, you know, he has, he has quality control and he has to go to factories and he's just too far away. So he, he comes home the next day. Okay. And then I, I got the distinct impression. This is not a subject that is open for conversation. Why? I do not know. Right. Does she think he's having an affair? That's one of the thoughts I had. Does he think she think he's having an affair? And this is before the disclosure. So was your mom fully on board with this? Is this something that she knew? Was he doing this before they were even married? No. And in fact, you know, just going back to the book, the book chronicles that whole, her whole experience from the moment she found out, which was when he, I mean, you know, he was going to, she was going to be in on it from the very beginning. So when he went in for interviews, she was in on it. I mean, she was in on it the whole time. For more about this, we go to the book, Six Car Lengths Behind an Elephant. Can you share the significance of that title without divulging any of the wonderful stuff that, and now I've got to read the book. I'm hooked. Yeah, I'm hooked. Six Car Lengths, it's actually referencing a story that's in the book where my father, when we were in Ithaca, New York, and he was taking that one year of intensive Japanese before we moved to Tokyo. He was in a class ensconced with a bunch of graduate students, of course, because this is Cornell. They found out that we had lived in India. This is 1975. And India was looked upon in a dreamy fashion, you know, a very spiritual place. And they asked my father, oh, wow, you lived in, in that wonderful country. Tell us, what did you learn? What did you, what did you learn from your experiences there? And he said, Always drive six car lengths behind an elephant. There you go. Practical. Yeah. Practical. My mom knew that was going to be the title of her book from the very beginning, which I think is pretty, it's pretty fun. It's a good title. Absolutely. Very catchy. You were looking back and going, okay, this time, was that about this or that time? uh What about then from that time forward you talked a little bit about okay when he went on that business trip and you were left you were left alone for the first time that freaked you out a bit but as you went forward over the years were there any times that got hairy or was it just life as normal and you had this information now and you went off to college eventually and everybody just lived their lives as they would when we moved to caracas it, you know, that was my senior year in high school. And it was, a, it was I, I think it was considered a hardship post. I know India was considered a hardship post, meaning, you know, that it's just, uh, there's a lot more hardship, yes, quite literally. Yeah, right. Than perhaps, You're not at the Four Seasons. Know, yeah. In Europe, for example. And Caracas was a, I believe, was a hardship post then. Since I now knew, my mom was able to confide in me, you know, have me as her support. And my mom had a really hard time with that move. And I ended up feeling, quite honestly, like uh, I was more a support to her than she was to me. With that move, I really felt like she was she was she was not enjoying that at all. She didn't want to move there, and she was so uh, distraught that I was moving in my senior year in high school, and I was fine with it. Actually, she didn't quite believe that I was fine with it. I just was going out of my way a little bit to make sure she didn't feel like I was not going to be okay. Uh, and I was fine, so it wasn't really a, really much of a masking. But there were times when I felt like I had to hold it all uh, in and not, and I didn't really didn't have anyone to talk to 
about it because my my siblings didn't move with me. Um, it was just me and my parents, you know, and it was a little more hairy there in terms of risks and dangers. And there was one night, which actually is also recounted in my mother's book. Um, she calls it the vigil. There was one night where my father did not come home. He was supposed to come home and he didn't. And he didn't call. No. And my mom stayed up. I woke up and I realized something was I don't remember why I knew, maybe I heard her get up or maybe, I don't remember, but it was like two in the morning or something. It was a, week, a school night and she was sitting out on the, the little deck that overlooked, there was a little freeway underneath and it was actually kind of a nice view. We were up on a hill, but you could see the road coming up and she was sitting out there with a cup of coffee, two in the morning. And I asked, I said, is everything all right? She's like, no, it isn't. Your father's supposed to be home and he's not and so I made a cup of coffee and I sat with her we started talking about what the protocols were had I not known this could never have happened right now I was privy and I was part of the experience so she said well they're really you know I've never had this happen before it's um you know, there's codes, there's, there's a phone number you can, we, that I can call and I, and there's coded ways of saying something, but I, he's, she's like, God, I don't even know what number I'm supposed to call or what I'm supposed to say. We waited and waited and, you know, it got to be four or five in the morning and he still wasn't home. I said, where was he? Do you know what, what he was doing particularly? And his whole thing was that, you know, trying to get information on the Russians and the KGB. That was, that was his mission, even though he was in all these various countries. He was a little concerned that he was being followed by a KGB operative. Um, so that didn't sit well. Um, and, and, you know, and so this is one of those experiences where the fantastic story and the reality, you're trying to just kind of integrate the two and, and recognize that it's, that it is reality. And it's, it is a fantastic story, but it's also, wow, you know, what does this mean? And what, and what could this, and where is he? And she made a phone call to somebody and tried to use whatever coded language she could recall was necessary and the person on the other end had no idea what she was talking about so she hung up and that was that was that it got to be morning time and she says you have to go to school and I said oh I'm not going to school she said oh yes you are I said no I'm not going to school daddy's not home I've been up all night there's no way I'm going to school she said, no, we need, to, we need to keep normal appearances. You have got to get on the bus and go to school. I know it's really hard, but I promise you, if daddy comes home, I will make up some excuse to call the school and get you out of class and get you on the phone so that you know, but you have to go to school. Did your parents have some kind of protocol, code, notification system between them if something went south was there anything where your dad would somehow get a message to your mom, call her, say something? Was there anything like that? I, mean, it was, I don't think so. It was obviously unusual for him no, to not for him to not show up, right? So that right. so they didn't. Have, and it's it's interesting to hear you recount this, Johanna. And then your your mom under duress at two in the morning is trying to do this from memory. There isn't a book that she goes right. to and opens right. up and it says step one, two, and three. Yeah. She's just going, uh, I know I'm supposed to call somebody about something and say something. Well, I'm telling you, Jeff, this, the, the book is really illuminating in many, many ways. Not only is it just, you know, an interesting story about what it was like, but it also, there's a, an undercover CIA officer who just retired who reached out to me and said, oh my God, this book has to be required reading for anyone who's interested in joining as a CIA undercover operative. This is like a 101. He said, this is still true today. Really? So many of the experiences and, and just the ridiculousness, some of it is just ridiculous how things are done or not done. How the things that you think would be you know, more sophisticated and how rudimentary they actually are. I was shocked that they remain that way to this day. But in that way, the book is, is quite revealing in terms of just how shoddy. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's still winging it. Yeah. Right? In many respects. Yeah. yeah. This is how we go to bed every night thinking somebody's got a handle on it and they don't. It goes back to what we were talking about yesterday. We got this. That's true. N no, we don't. No, we, we don't. Right. We don't got true. this. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> What a crap show. Okay, so so your your mom convinces you to get on that school bus because now she did the smart thing. She said to you, 
we have to keep up appearances. I'm guessing that the portion of you, Johanna, that was honoring that moment in your dad's room where he said, you know, this is it. Now you're in. Right. Was activated. And you go, okay, I'm going to school. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt like quite the grown up. I got to say, yeah. I had to be. Yeah. I really had to be. And I was just, you know, I hadn't slept. And this is pre cell phone. How are you going to hear? The only way you're going to hear right. is, like you said, your mom's going to call the That's school right. and say, can Johanna come to the phone? Right. right? That's the only way it's going to happen. Which is what happened. So I was oh, in the middle okay. of class. There you go. I was in the middle of class and the door opened and um, I don't know, an administrator of some kind, I can't remember who. Peers in and says, Johanna, you have a call. Holy cow. Does your heart stop? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because you don't know what this call is. Yeah. That's right. Wow. So, like, do, 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 keep, you know, do, 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 act normal. Everything's fine. And it was in the principal's office. For whatever reason, I don't know why I had to take the call. I don't know how that, I don't know how the, how all that worked. But there's the principal sitting at his desk, and it's his phone that I'm supposed to pick up and talk to. And he's sitting there right next to me. Doesn't so, He doesn't offer, would you like some privacy? Doesn't He doesn't. No, I don't think he, no, no. No. I don't think my mom set it up for him to think that was necessary. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know. Okay, that makes sense. Right. Okay. So he's just sitting there, and so I just I pick up the phone. She says, "It's Mama. Daddy's fine. We'll talk about it when you when you get home." She doesn't say the rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain, <laughs> and and you reply with yellow umbrellas at midnight. That would have been a little more suspicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a tad. Okay. <laughs> and then when I got home, it was an icy cold environment. They were not speaking. How could you um, do this to me? Because my father had fallen asleep and he didn't wake up and he had been taking these flu medications and that made him even sleepier. And of course he likes his cocktail. So he had his meeting and he, and he meet people in hotel rooms. That's what he did. So that's what happened. And he, so um, he, he, passed he actually a- appeared like, I think within minutes of, of my bus leaving. But she waited till late in the day to call you? Yeah, I guess she, well, you know, I guess she needed to figure out when and scream at him. And, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was right. pissed. Yeah. And he was very sheepish and very, very, very apologetic and very uh, just, you know, right. sorry. But she did not speak to him, I'm telling you, for like three days. Understandable, but thank God <laughs> nothing nothing happened to him. And he, right. it was, That's right. he, he, pa- he passed out. No danger, but you guys... Living now, you living with the reality of what your dad does, and just your mind's got to be right. And your mom, of course, just the mind's got to yeah. be racing. In his career, was that the most intense kind of sense of not knowing? I interviewed my mom and I asked her, I said, How did you handle the idea that what if he was having an affair? How would you process that? And how, how could you possibly know whether he was or he wasn't? If, if the nature of what he had to do was going to hotels and staying away overnight on a regular basis. So she said, you know, I just, I just couldn't allow myself to go there, basically. I, I, what could I do? If he was, he was. And if he wasn't, he wasn't. But I, I wasn't going to live with that fear or that uh, concern or that thought. Um, I just couldn't entertain it. It just wasn't something that uh, made any sense to entertain. Yeah, I think that's why she probably didn't speak to him for three days. (laughs) After that in Caracas, uneventful. You're in high school. Life just goes on. Your mom and dad get past their three-day hiccup. Looking at colleges back in the U.S., what's that next move? I actually thought I might follow in my father's footsteps. Oh, really? Yeah, only because, you know, the naive part of me, and I think this is probably true for kids of anybody, you know, why do kids do what their parents do, right? Why does a doctor have a kid who becomes a doctor? Why does a professor have a kid who, you know what I mean? Um, it's what you know. And so you, if you, if you want to continue with the lifestyle you led, you assume you just do what your parent did or it's, 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 it's familiar. I, I just like new experiences unlike. Other people might, it might maybe more trying for other people, but for me, I kind of liked it. 
I liked being abroad. Uh, I didn't plan on living in the States. I didn't like the States. <laughs> I wanted to live overseas. And so for me, the thinking then, naively, was, well, then I'll just do what daddy does. I mean, I've seen his life. He, he goes away a couple of nights, he comes home. It's pretty, you know, other people who live here have fathers who work for corporations and their lives don't look particularly different. I thought that maybe I'd be good at it, but not really thinking about Okay, think about this for a minute. So there was one night where a, a colleague of my father's was staying with us. He knew, you know, he was someone who knew. And uh, my father told him, uh, Johanna's thinking about doing what I do. Oh, what, so and, hold on. So you had mentioned this to your dad. You had said, yeah. oh, and what was, hold that thought for a second. What was his response when you said, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about going into the family business, such that it yeah. is. Right. What, what did he say? You know, I think my father thought it was cool. I think my father really got a kick out of it. I think his ego was being fed a little bit, and maybe he wasn't he wasn't able to be as objective. And my mom did not like it at all, at all. And she was pissed about that. And maybe in some ways, who knows, whether I was also thinking I might do that just because it, I knew it would please him. Because I, I adored my father. Um <laughs> And we had a really good relationship. And I guess I wanted to emulate him in a way. So there probably was a bit of that. But when he told his friend, his friend's like, okay, Yana, you're not going to sleep tonight until it's instilled in you that this is not going to happen. You are not going to follow your father. And we're going to have a conversation about why. Well, what'd your dad think about that? He's like, well, he was up for it. He loves rigorous debates. Right. I mean, he, he loved... He was someone who just loved having really deep philosophical discussions and conversations into the wee hours of the morning. So he was game. He wanted to have that experience. Yeah, we stayed up probably. They were drinking. I wasn't. They got pretty drunk. I mean, he's like, do you really want it? Do you want it? Okay, this is what's involved. You know this about your father. You know this is the, these are the risks. And this is how you're going to get paid. And you're not going to be protected. And this is the reality of what you're going to have to do. You can't tell anybody. And all the things that I knew. I went to bed pretty refreshed on the concept of what, you know, what I was really saying and whether it was realistic for me. I didn't really give it much consideration after that, except that I just wanted to live a life, the lifestyle that I had been accustomed to. And that was the only reason I kind of thought that might be the way to do it. Had your dad ever discussed the nitty gritty about exactly what he does and what happens in the... Yeah, and it's, uh, my mom talks about that too. That's in the book. In the book. All right, so we're yeah. going right, to tease that out. Got, guy, you <laughs> right. want that? You, you got to get the book. Got to get, get the book. Got to get the book for the details. So he, yeah. had run, he had gone. It wasn't just your sense of the lifestyle, Johanna. I mean, lifestyle as far as you knew and where you were living. But your dad had discussed, look, this is my day-to-day. -day. This is how it goes down, how I find my sources, how I groom my source, how I get the information, how I, can, I convey the information. He had shared some or all of that with you. No, I didn't share all of it by any means, but some uh, of it shared, then yeah okay yeah. so you 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 knew some of the some of the workings of as as you were saying your dad's friend was saying look this is you know these are the things you're going to do right so you're convinced that your siblings are not spies or did not follow in your father's footsteps that allure now is long since in the rearview mirror for you johanna i mean that oh, right yeah. you made that choice you, you moved on and your dad continued with that lifestyle i'm, I'm going to assume this is also in the book he retired, I think, at 50. He died at 54. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. That's young. Yeah, very young. Um, it all, all becomes relative as you get older. The last time I saw him was college graduation, and he passed away a couple months after that. Was he sick? Yeah. What happened? No, he had an aneurysm. So the book is Six Car Lengths Behind an Elephant, Undercover, and Overwhelmed, as a CIA wife and mother, it's available in paperback and on Kindle if you choose to find it through Amazon. It's also at Barnes & Noble and available there in paperback and on Nook. Jean Le Carré says, a charming and unusual portrait of the secret life. And this is by Lillian McCloy, edited by our guest today, Johanna McCloy. Anything else we should... We should say about the book, other than it looks like it's got a really awesome cover and makes me want oh, to read yay. it. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad. 
Um, well, it's available pretty much from any book retailer, um, paperback or ebook. Right. Support your so, local bookstore. We should talk about that because right, all the mom and that. pop local bookshops certainly need that business. Yeah. Bordertown Publishing is the website. Um, you can email info at, I'll get that, or go to the Facebook page and message me there. That's wonderful. So Bordertown Publishing on Facebook, directly at bordertownpublishing.com. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Beautiful. Wonderful. I yeah. really appreciate the interest and the time, and uh, and I hope that it. I hope that this was a, a a really interesting podcast for people, and I appreciate you listening to my story. How do you think you might react if you were sitting at the edge of your father's bed and were told that he was working for the CIA, was a spy? Huh? The next time somebody says, go get my briefcase, maybe you're going to think twice. (laughs) Oh man, I loved hanging out with Johanna. I hope you enjoyed her story. I'm looking forward to reading Six Car Lengths Behind an Elephant. Sounds uh, fascinating. And uh, you can find out more about Johanna at her wonderful website, daretobefabulous.com. That's for Johanna McCloy, Dare to Be Fabulous. Hopefully we'll have Johanna visit us again in the not too distant future. But until then, stay safe. And remember, you can find No Bed of Roses wherever you find fine podcasts. Thanks for hanging out. See you again soon. Bye.